Well, if you haven't been with us, we've been in a series in the book of 1 Peter called Exiles and Hope, and uh, Peter is addressing uh, exiles in this letter. And we've said that an exile is a metaphor for every Christian in the world. So if you're a Christian, you're in exile. What that means is that this world is not your home. Your identity is somewhere else. Your values come from somewhere else, and your home ultimately is somewhere else. And so Peter is asking the question, how then do we as Christians live as exiles in the world? How does the church engage the culture? Now this week, we are nearing the end of the letter, and Peter is going to give his final sort of set of exhortations here. And the topic that Peter addresses is the topic of anxiety. And this makes sense. Because he writes to a group of scattered believers who are experiencing persecution, uh, suffering in the present, and they expect more of it in the future, and so they're afraid for their children and their families, their jobs, their very lives. And so these people are anxious, and Peter's going to address that in this letter. But here's where the passage connects to us, because although we live 2,000 years later, although we are not experiencing persecution in our country, we as Americans are still very, very anxious, aren't we? Many of us, um, almost probably every bit as much as this church, struggle with anxiety. Um, Americans are just stressed out people, so... uh, uh, Anxiety-related costs are a $300 billion a year bill in America and medical costs and time off of work. Uh, America is the wealthiest nation in the world, and we are also, by a wide margin, also the most anxious. So we're worried. We are anxious, even in the modern world. And this is just kind of normal life for us as Americans, but during COVID-19, 2020, things have gotten a lot, a lot worse. So there is a poll survey uh, by the U.S. Census Bureau that said that right now, one-third of Americans reported symptoms of anxiety and depression, while just a year ago, that number was one in 10. So a year ago, one in 10. Today, it's one in three. So we are especially stressed out this year because of everything that's going on. And there are all kinds of things that threaten to undo and destabilize us, aren't there? I mean, some of us are worried about being in crowds. Uh, Some of us are anxious about children and and wayward children and things going on with them. Uh, There are others that are stressed out about parents and sick parents, aging parents, and what are we going to do with them? And some of us are stressed out about our jobs. You know, I've got to go to work tomorrow morning, and, and what do I do about that? Some of us are worried about our lack of employment. Some of us are worried about money. Some of us are worried about lack of money. Some of us are worried that everything is changing and, and everything's different. Some of us are worried that everything is the same all the time. When is it going to change? Some of us are worried about our health. And if that's you, don't go on Google because every road leads to cancer online. Uh, you know, some of us, even when there's nothing to worry about, you know, you are so bad, even when there's nothing to worry about, you worry about that. You know, and so we are stressed. There are so many things that we worry about. And of course, underlying it all is that kind of basic fear of death, right? Which all of us kind of fear the end of life and what's going to go on with that. Uh, The poster uh, boy for uh, fear of death, of course, is Woody Allen, you know, and he made a lot of jokes about death, probably because he's really afraid of of it. He he said one time, I don't want to achieve immortality through my work. I want to achieve immortality by not dying. He also said, I don't want to live on in the hearts of my countrymen. I want to live on in my apartment. 
<laughs> so there's this kind of underlying fear of death, you know, that kind of haunts all of us. And sometimes anxiety can reach epidemic proportions, can just kind of get out of control in our lives. There's a, a, a play back in 1977 that was put on on Broadway called The Search for Signs of Intelligent Life in the Universe. Some of you may have seen this. Uh, Lily Tom Tomlin was the star of this show, and she's kind of this neurotic woman. At the very beginning, she has this uh, little piece on anxiety where she says, I worry, I worry about things like, you know, if peanut oil comes from peanuts and olive oil comes from olives, where does baby oil come from? And she kind of goes on like that, and then at the very end she says, I worry about my place in the cosmic scheme of things. I worry that there is no cosmic scheme of things. I worry that I'm just at the mercy of random circumstances careening through the galaxy. And so a lot of us struggle with worry and anxiety, and there's a difference between anxiety and fear, isn't there? A fear is a good thing. God, God gave us the emotion of fear, and sometimes fear keeps us safe. You know, um, uh, you, the adrenaline pumps, and you get out of the way, and it saves you from danger. And so uh, someone described the difference between anxiety and fear this way. Fear is when you see the car coming, the adrenaline starts to pump, and you jump out of the way. That's a good thing. Anxiety is where you feel the same adrenaline, and you feel, feel the same fear, even when the car isn't coming. So fear is specific, anxiety is generalized, and it's kind of a generalized sense of dread about the future. And what's always struck me is how the Bible takes uh, anxiety really, really seriously. We think about it as an emotional problem, you know, something that bogs down our mental and emotional life. The Bible sees anxiety as a spiritual problem. This is why the most common command in the Bible is, guess what? It's do not be afraid. This is why in the middle of Jesus' famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about anxiety. He says, do not worry about your life. It's a spiritual problem. This is why Paul talks about, uh, don't be anxious for anything, but with everything, pray and lift that up to God. And this is why Peter, in our passage, writing to exiles who are in the world wanting to follow Jesus, this is why he talks to them about anxiety. Here's the question that Peter is going to address in the passage. What do we do with anxiety? I mean, we all struggle with it, but how do you not be anxious, right? It's like, don't think of a pink elephant. Don't be anxious. It's like, how do you do that? How do you not be anxious? How do you stop worrying? And that's what Peter is going to talk about here in the final passage of First uh, Peter chapter 5. Peter is going to give us three basic things to do in light of our anxiety. He doesn't just say stop worrying. He says, I want you to do three things. He gives us three basic directives, three very practical commands to do to help us with our worry. So let me go through them this morning. The first thing that, that Peter talks about is he says, that if you're going to deal with your anxiety and your worry in the world, the first thing you need to learn how to do is you have to humble yourself. The face of anxiety, humble yourself. Look what he says in verse 6. He says, humble yourselves. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you, exalt you, casting all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. The first thing Peter says is he says, when you're worried and you're stressed, the first thing you need to do is humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Now, somebody might ask, what does humility have to do with anxiety? Why does Peter ask us to 
humble ourselves when really our problem is worry. It's because worry and humility are connected. Because worry and pride are connected. At the root of all your anxieties is pride. And this is why Tim Keller put it this way. He said, the root of anxiety is pride. It takes pride to be anxious. I am not wise enough to know how my life should go. When you're anxious, it's because you believe how life should go. You know how your life should go, and you don't believe that God is going to get it right, and so you're stressed about that. You know, we all know the, spiritual, the first spiritual law of the four spiritual laws. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Some of you don't believe that. You think, I've got my own plan for my life. I've got a five-year plan or a 10-year plan or a 15-year plan. I know the way my life is supposed to go. And I'm afraid God didn't get that memo. And when things don't align, when what God is doing doesn't align with my plans, then I begin to freak out. Because anxiety has everything to do with control, doesn't it? When you're anxious, at the root of it, it's when we think or act as if running my life is ultimately up to me. I want to be behind the wheel. And because I don't control things, I begin to get very anxious. And so Peter says, if you're ever going to get over worry and anxiety, the first thing you need to learn how to do is humble yourself, surrender control to God, and let him, put it into his hand, and let him run your life. Do not occupy yourself with that which you cannot control anyway. Humble yourself. And I struggle with this, and, and if you've ever uh, driven uh, with me in a car, you know this. Because when I drive in a car, I get, if I'm not driving, I get stressed out. I'm a, I'm a major backseat driver, I guess a front street driver, uh, seat driver, because I'm usually in the front. And if I'm not driving, like, you may not see it on the outside, but on the inside, I am freaking out. I'm thinking, don't they know they're getting too close to the side of the road? They're going to hit the cars there. And sometimes I'll even kind of lean over because I'm like, you got to move over here. Or I think, you know, they're getting too close to the car in front of us. Don't they know that they're getting too close to the car in front of us? Why don't they slow down? Or I think, the speed limit has changed. It's 65 now. You can go a little faster. Come on, what's going on? Don't you know? Aren't you paying attention? On the, and then there's that little uh, handle there. I call it the Jesus handle. I don't know why the manufacturers put that in the car, but if you see me grabbing onto that when you're driving, it's because I'm stressed. And I want to be behind the wheel. And anxiety happens in your life when you want to control it. And you can't. And so you freak out. And for me, this gets really bad. And I know it because, you know, I love flying. I don't know if any of you like flying. And I've learned to really love flying. But there are moments when I just kind of have a freak out moment, you know, when I'm flying. And it goes like this. And I'm sitting there. And usually it's a long flight. And usually it's maybe in the middle of the night. And I start thinking, we haven't heard from the pilot in a long time. Is he still up there? And I start thinking, like, I start looking over and seeing, if the, is the door open? Is he up there? I wonder, and then like the, there's turbulence and I start thinking like, why doesn't he just drop a little bit and get out of this turbulence? Or, you know, he says we're going to land in 20 minutes and I think, well, if we're going to land, why are we so high up? Why doesn't he get a bit, little bit lower? He's just going to do this crazy dive at the very end. And the crazy thing about this is I cannot fly the plane from seat 27B. It's crazy to think I can do that. And even if I was in the cockpit, I couldn't fly the plane anyway. It's irrational, but it's real. 
And this is the way anxiety goes. We think, God, don't you know that this is going on? But who do you think you are? You don't have the ability to control your life. And what Peter is saying is stop occupying yourself with that which you cannot control anyway. Trust the Lord, humble yourself under his hand. That's the first step to overcoming anxiety. One of my favorite uh, passages of scripture is uh, Psalm 131. And if you struggle with anxiety, um, just write this verse down, put it on your refrigerator, put it on your mirror so that you can just see it on a daily basis. It's a wonderful passage. The psalmist says this, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. He's saying there are two steps here to humbling yourself. Number one, do not occupy yourself with that which is too marvelous for you. In other words, he's saying acknowledge your mortality, acknowledge your limitations, acknowledge your lack of control. And then submit yourself to God's loving, providential hand. Peter says, here's the first step. You've got to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And in the right time, in his timing, when he sees fit, he will lift you up. The second thing Peter goes on to tell us is that if if we're going to deal with anxiety, secondly, we need to learn how to cast our cares. So first you humble yourself, second of all, you cast your cares. So he says in verse 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And this is connected to the first point because until you surrender, until you acknowledge that you cannot do it yourself, you will not go to God with your cares. It takes humility to come to God and to cast your cares on him. And as long as you are committed to doing it yourself and doing it on your own and, and solving this problem with your own ability, you will not go to God to cast your cares on him. But this is what Peter tells us to do. He says, after you've humbled yourself and only when you've hum- humbled yourself, then you should go to God and cast your cares upon him. The word cast there is a very um, energetic word, word and it's almost a violent word. It's used for a fisherman casting their net on the water. And if you are a fisherman, you know that you cast the line out into a lake or out into a river, and you kind of just, in a very energetic way, you cast the line out as far as it will go. Peter is saying this is what you do with your anxiety. You cast your anxiety as far away from you as possible. You cast it on God. You you energetically and almost violently push it away, almost like when a spider falls on you you throw that thing off as fast as you can. Or a snake or some other, you know, insect of choice or whatever, you throw that thing off. And Peter says, with your anxiety, you've got to cast it on God. You need to throw it away from you. And don't hold on to it. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking of the opposite of that. Like, what is the opposite of cast? And so I went to uh, dictionary.com on the internet because the internet is the source of all true information. And I found out that the opposite of cast, that was a joke, by the way, the, the opposite of cast, it said, is to absorb or to inhale or to soak or to sponge in or to suck up or to take up. 
The opposite of casting your cares on God is to soak in your cares. It's to marinate in your anxiety. And isn't this what we do? Instead of throwing our cares on God, we marinate on our anxiety. And, you know, maybe you wake up with it. You know, you wake up in the morning and you're thinking about this, your kids or you're thinking about your illness or you're thinking about your parents or you're thinking about your employment and you just marinate in that anxiety all morning long. You get into the shower and you're thinking about it. You just mull it over in your brain and you're just clinging to it and soaking in it and holding on, whatever it is you're anxious about. You think about it all through, you're taking the shower and then you're driving to work and there it is, you know, going on in your mind. You think about it all day. You think about it when you're laying in bed at night. And Peter says, do just the opposite. If you're going to get rid of anxiety, you've got to get rid of your anxiety. You cast it on God. You throw it away from you. You do not marinate in it. If you want to know if you're marinating in your anxiety, just listen to your conversations. Um, I get up in the morning with my wife every day. We, We started doing this lately where we go for a walk in the morning and we leave our kids at home. They're just old enough to stay home by themselves, which is kind of a, that's anxiety in, in and of itself. But we will go for a walk in the morning and we talk to each other about our lives. And oftentimes we'll get talking about what worries us. And usually the way it works is it kind of snowballs. So I'll say, you know, Anita, I'm worried about, you know, my job or the kids. And, and I'm, so I'm, I'm worried about this and I'll throw that out there. And she'll say, yeah. I wasn't worried about that, but now, now I kind of am, and I'm also worried about this. And she'll throw another anxiety on there. And so we'll talk about that until I'm worried about it, and then we'll pile another anxiety on there until we've kind of worked ourselves up to an, into an anxious frenzy. And we get done with our walk, and we're more, we're more stressed out than we were than when we began. And if you're not careful, you will just stew on your anxiety and marinate in it until it becomes a burden. You ever notice that, how like, if you're, car- if you're carrying around anxiety, it becomes a burden and it just weighs you down. And you feel exhausted all the time and people could all even tell from your countenance that you're just weighed down and you feel heavy because of all the things that you're carrying around, they're burdens. Peter says, if you're going to get over anxiety, you've got to learn how to roll that burden off onto God. Your shoulders are not big enough to carry those things. And you've got to give those to God. He says, cast or throw all of your cares upon God. And what's interesting about this word cast is it's also in the pluperfect tense, which means it's a repetitive word. So it's not a one and done. It's not like you do it and then you stop. Okay, I've given that over to God and it's over. No, this is something you do over and over and over again. You do it in the morning when you wake up and you have that anxiety. You wake up with it. You say, God, it's yours. I am giving that to you. It's not my problem. It's yours. You take it. And then you think about it in the shower again. You cast it on God again and you give it over to him and you put it on his shoulders uh, again. And then later on at work, you see, this is something that we do over and over again. It's not a one and done thing. It's a, it's, a, it's a habit that we develop of life. And why should we do this? Peter says you should cast your cares on God. Why? Because God cares for you. Do this because God cares for you. God cares about your problem more than you care about it. God cares about your life more than you do. As much as you care about that thing, about your kids or about your work, know this, God cares more. 
You are, you are an object of God's special concern. You have a heavenly father who believes that you are valuable. And this is why in Matthew chapter 5 or chapter 6, Matthew, Jesus says this. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. Neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And then he says, are you not more valuable than they are? God cares about birds. How much more does God care about you? You are his child. You know, and I think about birds because I hate birds. I don't know what it is, but I've always thought they were kind of creepy little things. And what's funny is my mother-in-law loves birds. And at one time, she had several birds in her house in cages. And she had this one um, African gray parrot that at five in the morning would crow like a rooster. I don't know why, but it would do that. And so when I, was, when I would go to, her, go to stay at our in-law's house, at five in the morning, this bird would wake me up in the morning crowing like a rooster hate birds. And I, I remember just one morning I was so frustrated about this that I went out and I lit the cage on fire and I burnt that bird to a crisp. I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. That would be super crazy, wouldn't it? I didn't do that, but I wanted to do that. Birds. God cares about birds. And if God cares about birds, how much more does God care about you? He knows, he knows every single circumstance in your life. He knows all of your worries and all of your cares. He has all of your hairs numbered. He knows all of your days. God cares about you. Peter says, you've got to know this. And you've got to learn how to roll off your burden onto your loving heavenly father because your shoulders are not big enough to carry them. And again, don't just do it once, but do it over and over again. Make it a habit of life where you are continually giving it over and giving it over and casting it and putting that thing upon God who cares more about your life than you do. Thirdly, what Peter tells us to do, he says, uh, first, remember, he says, if you're gonna overcome anxiety, humble yourself. Stop concerning yourself with things that you cannot control. Submit yourself to God's providential hand. Second of all, once you've done that, cast your care upon God. Just give it over to him and pour every anxiety and every concern on his shoulders. Finally, Peter says, I want you to learn how to be watchful and resistant. Verse 9, he said, or verse 8, <clears throat> Peter says, Be sober and watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to, to devour. Resist him firm in the faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So notice Peter says here, um, he, he begins to talk about the devil. This is a very famous passage about the prowling uh, devil that kind of roars like a lion and that wants to devour us. The question is, what does the devil have to do with anxiety? He's been talking about anxiety. Why this abrupt change in anxiety? To, to the subject of the devil. It's because anxiety and the devil are related. What Peter wants us to see is that what, what is at stake when we do not deal with our anxiety? He wants to know that when we don't deal with our stress, this is actually dangerous. 
spiritually dangerous. You say, well, it's going to burden my mind and it's going to make me mentally, you know, unfit, but, but it's just me. What's the big deal? Peter says, here's the big deal. When you hold on to anxiety, it puts you in a dangerous situation because although there is a God who cares for your life, there is also a devil which hates your life. And this devil prowls around seeking those he may devour. The devil wants to devour you. And one of the things he uses to devour you is your anxiety. Anxiety is, is a foothold. You're giving the devil a foothold into your life to, do, to wreak his havoc and to do major damage. Um, some of you may have read um, the Screwtape Letters by uh, C.S. Lewis. And um, in, in this book, it's a, it's a wonderful book if you haven't read it. It's a, it's a little allegory about uh, the, the demons and there's a chief demon named uh, Screwtape, and he's ex- instructing all of his uh, younger demons. One of them, his name is Wormwood. And he's telling these demons how to tempt people and how to get people to fall into sin. If you've read it, it's a really great book. But one of the things he talks about is anxiety. And Screwtape uh, suggests to one of the younger devils that um, what, what they can do to, to the minds of, of human beings when they're laying in bed at night And he tells Wormwood to encourage the human's mind to run. And he says, we want him to be in the maximum uncertainty so that his mind will be filled with contradictory pictures of the future, every one of which arouses fear. So maybe that you've experienced this. You're laying in bed at night and you can't sleep because of some anxiety. And your mind is racing. And you've got fears going over and over and over again. Peter says, where do you think those are coming from? Where do you think those thoughts are coming from? He says, your fear is an opportunity for the devil to devour your life. And so he says, if we don't learn how to acknowledge God's providence and cast our cares on him, this is actually a dangerous situation for us. And for many of us, you can think about some of the dumbest decisions you've ever made, some of the biggest sins you've ever fallen into, some of the biggest fights you've had with other people have come down to your anxiety. Peter, in his life, one of his greatest failures was denying the Lord. Remember that? You got to replay the tape and ask the question, well, why did he do that? Well, it goes back to the, the Last Supper where Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going away. And where I'm going, you can't follow me. And so the disciples are filled with anxiety and fear. And so then they go out to this garden and he says, okay, I want you to watch and pray because, uh, you know, things are going to get critical and it's going to get difficult. And what did the disciples do? They fell asleep. And so instead of praying and casting their cares on the Lord and trusting him, they're sleeping and so, so often, this is what we do with our anxiety. Instead of praying, you know, we, we kind of, we might fall asleep. You ever notice how sleepy you get when you're anxious? Or you might drop out and, and get a dopamine hit from your iPhone. Or you might turn on a Netflix video. Peter says, be careful. When you're experiencing anxiety, this is not the time to check out. This is the time to become more vigilant be aware of your anxious thoughts. Be aware of what's, when you're stressed and there's things going on around you. 
see your thought patterns and make sure that you are putting those things upon God and trusting him with them because when you don't, you open yourself up to all sorts of temptation. So Peter says three things. If you're stressed, here they are. Humble yourself, cast your cares, be watchful and resistant. This is what we must do. But I love how Peter ends the passage here in verse 10. He ends with not so much what we need to do, but what God has done for us. He says, And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And I love this because Peter ends by saying, here, at the end of the day, you need to understand not so much what you need to do, but what God has done for you. Because God hasn't left us alone in this world. And the good news of this passage is that at the end of the day, the answer to your anxiety is God. And God has done everything. God has done everything to secure your future. You are not alone in this world. Your life is not at the mercy of random circumstances. Your life is in the hands of a loving Heavenly Father. And you may not know what the future holds. You may not know if you're going to be sick. You may not know what's going to happen to your kids. You may not know what's going to happen to your parents. You may not know what's going to happen to your job or with your school. But here's what you know. You know what God has promised to do. And look what God has promised to do here. I love it says in this verse that God will. This is what God will do in your future. God here is the subject of a very strong string of verbs. Listen to them. God will, he says, restore you. God will confirm you. God will strengthen you and God will establish you. No matter how broken and sideways your life has become, know this, God knows how to restore your life and he will. God will confirm, no, no, confirm you no matter what injustice you're facing right now, no matter how many th- wrongs that have been done, with, done to you, God will vindicate you. He will confirm you in the end. God will strengthen you. Yes, things may come into your life, but God has promised that he's gonna hold you up and shore you up and give you what you need to handle it. He's gonna strengthen you to deal with the things that you've gotta deal with. And then finally, God's gonna establish or ground you. This is what God has promised to do for you. And Peter says, you just need to listen to this and take it in, more than just in an intellectual way, but but know that God will do this for you. And that's gonna ease your anxiety. My my dad was an electrical contractor uh, when we were growing up, and his business was such that um, he would do a job, he'd get done with the job, and sometimes the customer wouldn't pay. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced that, if you who are into contracting, but he'd be in a kind of a pickle at that point because he has a family to provide for. These people are not paying when they need to pay, and, and so he either had to take them to court, which would cost way too much money, or just wait. And waiting was just filled with anxiety for him. And it kind of bled into the rest of our family. My sister... One day she went to his office, and because she loved her dad, she she wrote on this big whiteboard right when he would come into the the business, Isaiah 41. And Isaiah 41 is kind of like 1 Peter 5. And it says, fear not, for I am with you, because I am your God, and I will strengthen you, I will uphold you, 
and I will be with you with my mighty right hand. And she wrote that so that when my dad walked in the office, he knew for certain that his business, that his life, that his family was in God's providential hand who promises to take care of us. And I love that, and and it reminds me of a wonderful hymn, and I'll end with this. It's the hymn called How Firm a Foundation. Some of you may know it. It's about fear, and it says, Fear not, I am with thee. O be not dismayed, for I am thy God, and I will give thee aid. I will strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I will never, no, never, no, never forsake. And Peter ends this letter, and he says, here's what you know about the future. Because Jesus Christ has died on the cross and and risen again from the dead, because he did that for you in the past, you know where he's going to be in the future. And no matter what happens, you know that he will never, no, never, no, never forsake you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for uh, this passage about our anxiety and fear. And God, this, this church was experiencing suffer, suffering in their present. Uh, there was prospect of more suffering in the future. And God, in 2,000 years, things have not changed much in terms of anxiety. All of us um, come into this room with burdens, with anxieties and cares. And God, I pray that you would enable us to cast our care upon you. God, you have promised to uphold our lives by your righteous right hand. Lord, your providence, your good providence guides us. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to uh, humble ourselves, to cast our cares upon you to be watchful and resistant so that we can live lives of peace and that we may resist anxiety. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.